0: We're in a series called what? Bogeyman or bogeyman because Brett can't spell. No, I'm just kidding. That's actually how it's spelled. I, I, I roasted him the first time. He sent it in like our group chat and I was like, that's not a word, bro. But <laughs> turns out he was right. He Googled it first. But so through this series, we've been talking about less fret, more faith. We've talked about the Lord's sovereignty. We've talked about the Lord's mercy. We've talked about rejoicing in the Lord Always through every circumstance, and then last week Brett talked about the contagious calm, and he broke down what it's what it means to be calm in all situations and how that can be contagious to others around us. Right? He broke it down with our boy Vasily. Vasily was a good, G, for uh, for um, basically stopping World War III. So shout out to my boy, big ups. That was sick. Um, that's from a YouTube video. You guys don't get it. It's fine. Um, <clears throat> but this week, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is going to be "Prayer, Not Despair." Let's go, bruh! And like Brett's been saying, we're basing basing this series um, off a book called "Anxious for Nothing" by Max Lucado. So if you go and buy this book and then read it, it is a bomb book. Karris, you read it? Let's go. Well, if you go and read it, um, don't come at me for plagiarizing because. Most of these concepts are from the book. So if you read the book and you're like, wow, that's, I've heard that before. Don't come at me. I will fight you. Just kidding. Maybe. Ask my brother. We brawl all the time. Not really. Last time I was up here, I told a story about how I body slammed him. That might come up again. I don't know. We'll find out. But let's start off like Pastor Brett's been doing with just a quick, quick quote from the book from Max Lucado. He says, in the, it's like the heading of the whole chapter. He says, peace happens when people pray. On the surface, you're like, cool, dude, that's sick. Heard that a million times. I've been to church before. Um, But what does that that actually entail? I've tried that whole thing, and it hasn't worked for me. Like, peace happens when I pray? Okay. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to do my best to give you guys kind of a formula and kind of an outline and a way to pray that will help us maybe, hopefully, experience the peace that everybody's talking about reading the book, Anxious for Nothing, Max Lucado starts off the chapter um, with this kind of like summary slash slash reimagination of a parable from Luke 18 about um, the unjust judge and a widow. Does anybody know that parable? If not, it doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> um, I think the story is just like, the way Max puts it, he puts it in, um, like I said, it's kind of reimagined. Like he adds details that aren't in the Bible. So like, it just makes it way funnier, um, but the, more, the moral of it is the same. So I'm just going to like, I have it written down here, and I'm just going to read it and like paraphrase it because I think it's, um, it's really impactful, and it'll give a good start to uh, where we're going tonight, okay? So I encourage you guys to read the actual um, scripture for yourself. It's just the beginning of Luke 18, and you'll read the parable of the unjust judge. But for the sake of pure comedy, and um, I think it gives the the point across really well, I'm just going to read what Max said about it. So let's paint the picture here. There's a crooked judge. His name's Ken. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) CEO owner. And uh, he was getting paid off by every criminal in the city. He was the judge, and he was letting everybody do it. He was letting people rob banks. And he was like, yo, just slide me a few bucks, and I won't say nothing. I'm not going to put you in jail. I'd pick Ken because that sounds like something he would do. I'm just kidding. Just get roasted, Ken. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so there's this unjust judge who's who's getting paid off by everybody, and then there's this old widow, and her name is Ethel. I chose Ethel because that's the name Brett uses for every old lady ever in every analogy. So I thought it was hilarious to just use Ethel. Also, Max uses it in the book, so I guess Brett's not alone. I thought he was the only person that said that, but guess not. Anyways... Ethel has some problems, right? <laughs> Ken's like, yeah, she paid me off. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe she got into some some bad parking tickets, right? Or maybe um, someone reported her for doing some crazy, like leading some crazy racing ring. I don't know. Um, all I know is she got in trouble, but these accusations were false, okay? So she's in the right, but somebody's trying to frame her for leading some underground Tokyo drift rally thing. Okay, that's just the the analogy I came up with, because most of our most of our crew likes cars. Yes, sir, Ski, Cole was looking up F1 for 30 minutes before we even started here. So just roast him real quick. But anyway, so Ethel gets all these false charges against her. She goes to the courthouse and she goes to like the count, the uh, county clerk and is like, yo, these aren't true. Like, how do I get out of this? And she keeps getting denied to see the judge over and over again. So she, she does what every normal person would do. She just starts stalking the judge, right? And she says, she goes up to the judge. She waits on the, the courthouse steps in the morning before he comes in. She waits there, and she st- she's staking it out. She's waiting for the judge to come in, right? Judge comes into work, and she goes at him. She says, hey, like, I need to see you. The, the clerk said I'm not allowed to see the judge, but I need to see you because I have these false accusations against me, and you're the only one. That can uh, that can acquit me of these charges, right? So she keeps doing this, and then she follow- the judge just ignores her and says, "You know what? I don't care." Ken walks right past. He says, "Yeah, forget it." So what <laughs> what does she do? Well, like everybody everybody would do, she follows him to lunch. So he goes out to lunch, and she follows him, right? And she keeps asking. She gets she goes to Buffalo Wild Wings with him and gets a table right next to him, and just keeps asking, "Hey, like, are you gonna are you gonna help me with these charges? Are you gonna help me?" And uh, the judge just continues to ignore her, right? And then the judge goes home for the day, but she overheard the judge tell his secretary that he was going to the movies after work. So what does Ethel do? She shows up at the movies, and she keeps bothering the judge, and the judge is just ignoring her this whole time, right? So what does she do? She says, you know what, I'm not going to stop. Ethel does this for an entire week. Can you imagine that? Imagine seeing somebody two to three times a day, and they're just bugging you for an entire week. I get infuriated when my brother, like, talks to me too long. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's chill. He's all right. Um, but when we were younger, he used to do this thing where he would just copy everything I said, and it took ten seconds for me to just brawl with this kid. I was I was so tired of it. He he did it when I got home from work today. I I, I walked inside, and I was like, So Brett's not here, obviously, so somebody had to get the music. And um, I was like, hey, Zach, when you get there, the music's on the soundboard. And he goes, shut up. And I was like, okay, for sure. And I was like, no, but for real, it's on there. And he goes, I don't care. And I was like, all right, this is just, I'm going to fight you before church. Then I'm going to have to go get saved again. This is crazy. But anyway, so this happens for an entire week. Ethel is following this dude around, this crooked judge. He says, I don't care. Like, why are you following me? The judge finally is so annoyed that he says to Ethel, I don't like people and I don't care about God. I have nothing good in me. Why do you keep harassing me? Yeah, he goes hard. Th- that part's not Ken. Ken wouldn't do that. That part's not Ken. And then Ethel says, that's fine. Um I don't really care about that, but you're the only person with the authority to get me out of these charges. Can you help me? And the judge sighs. He goes, and he says, I will do anything to get rid of you, Ethel. You're driving me nuts. It's been a week. Could you just get lost? And then Ethel pled her case. She said, these, these accusations against me are false. Somebody with the same car must have been leading this thing. It wasn't me. I, I'm not a Tokyo drifter. I, I just go to the store and back. I'm 85 years old. And then Ethel, Ethel must have left him alone at that point because she got the judge acquitted her. So she said, okay, that's chill. I'm out of here. I don't, I'm good right? So a happy ending. After a whole week, Ethel was, just kept bothering this dude, and he fi- even the unjust judge finally came around. And you all are like, sick, that's a crazy story. What does that have to do with anything? Especially prayer. We're talking about prayer. What does that have to do with anything? I mention that story because that story is true, minus the extra details. The moral of the story is true. If you, It says in Luke 18, 7, even an unjust, crooked judge rendered the right decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now let's clear some things up about this parable real quick. God is not the unjust judge in this parable, and we are not Ethel. In this story, Ethel is the lowest, lowest woman on the totem pole, lowest person, She has no authority, she has no power, and she's tried everything to get to the judge, and nobody listened to her until she started stalking the judge and following him around. But on the other hand, we are children of God, so we can't be Ethel because we have a direct access to God. We're at the top of the list. We can go directly to God whenever we want. We don't need to exhaust all our options and then just go maybe consult our friends, maybe watch some YouTube tutorials before we, before we solve. That's my first instinct, not going to lie, it's kind of bad. But we don't need to do all those things. We're, we're children of the king, right? We can go straight to God and plead our case. We don't need to go to, like Ethel and stalk, stalk some judge or st- stalk God just so God will hear our voices. We're, we're his children. We can go straight to him and he has the love of a father for us. God wants to hear our voices. So what does this have to do with the way we pray and combat anxiety specifically because that's what what the series is about? This parable shows the authority that we have in Christ. We don't have to be timid and sit back and just wait for God to give us peace. We can we can and need to approach him as a father. He cares about us and he wants to hear our concerns. Philippians 4.6, which is like kind of the, the proof text we've been reading through um, in this series, says, Do not be anxious about anything. About what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what does this, what does God call us to do in this? He calls us to pray about Everything. And if you're like me, you're like, everything, bro? That's a lot. Like, i got to pray about everything? But there's a specific reason. And Paul sets it up with three specific words. He says, pray pray about everything through prayer, supplication, and requests. So those three words are super important because they all have a distinct purpose. And I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break it down now, y'all. Okay. Prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is is a general devotion to God that involves worship and adoration, right? We are showing God that we love him by talking to him and spending time in conversation. It would be really hard to get to know somebody if we never talked to him. God's the same way, right? Then Paul uses this big word, (laughs) supplication. That's what I said, bro. Um, <laughs> he uses this word supplication, which, if you look it up, supplication suggests humility. In a, the sense, of, it's even the sense of asking or begging for something. Supplication brings us down to size. Not that we're super small, but it helps us to realize that God is super big. Then he goes on. He goes two words. That's not enough. That's not going to cut it. We got. I got to add a third one. He just says. A request. Bring our requests to God. What's a request? Just ask him for something, right? Max Locato specifies it. He goes, the request we should make is a specific petition or a specific want. If I was thirsty and dehydrated on this 28-mile walk I did a a month ago, what would I do? I would ask, hey, can you get me some water? Or can you get me a bottle of water? I wouldn't just say, oh man, I'm kind of thirsty, because that wouldn't help me. I would have to specifically request a bottle of water. The specific request would solve my problem. So if we put that all together, we get this formula. We should pray about everything from a place of devotion through humility and make it specific. We see examples of this all over the Bible. Like, it's littered with it. I'm only going to give you two because I could literally go for, like, an hour just on examples of specific prayers. But in uh, in Luke 18, later in there, in verse 41, I don't have a slide for this, Jake, so don't trip. Um, sorry, the next two I don't have a slide for because they're, like, one sentence. I didn't want to make Brett while he's on vacation type them out. I did with the other ones, though. I said, bro, you better get these. And they're in three translations, too. Um, So, Luke 18, 41, just simply says, the context for this verse, Jesus is walking around. He's just doing Jesus things. He's healing people. He's doing all this crazy stuff. And eventually, he comes up to this blind man. Everybody knows he's blind. I mean, it's kind of obvious. He can't can't see. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) I would be like, "Bruh, I'm blind. Can't you see that? I literally can't see. And it's pretty pretty obvious that everybody in that vicinity would assume like hey Jesus he's blind bro did you not see that like why are you asking him what he wants it's it's probably pretty obvious right if I was the blind man I'd be like yeah seeing would be pretty dope that like come on man Um, (laughs) but Jesus already knew what the man desired it was obvious yet he was not content with knowing it for himself he wanted to hear the specific request of the blind man there's a big difference in him just knowing already and then you asking specifically for it. God loves our voices. He wants to hear from us. Mary, Jesus' own mom, did the same exact thing. She set up his first miracle by doing it, right? She turned she asked him to turn water into Baja Blast. It was a it was sick. <laughs> yeah, that I wrote that down. I was like, yo, this is funny. I'm just kidding. Um but when the wedding ran out of wine, right? Jesus' mom didn't go up to Jesus and say, hey, bruh, um, wine's kind of out. I don't know what you want to do about it. Like, uh, do something. Like, help. That's not what she did. She said very plainly, the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Very specific. She didn't just say, Jesus, fix this problem. Right? That's something I've, I've found myself doing. Instead of, say, I stub my toe, instead of just saying, I, Jesus, I stub my toe, can you help me? I just say, Ah, oh, God, help me. <laughs> right? The specific request means so much more because it's heartfelt. These are only two examples, like I said, but there's tons of these in the Bible. I could have gone on for a long time, but I didn't want to bore you guys. But when anxiety comes our way, why are we comfortable just to let it eat us alive? I'm guilty of this myself. And I know this is a tough subject, and I want, I want to be sensitive to that. I don't want to just come up here and start yelling at people. But we have the antidote for anxiety. We just need to use it. We have Jesus accessible to us at any time. Most of this series thus far, we've been talking about the characters of God, right? We talked about His sovereignty, His mercy, how to rejoice in Him. We talked about just growing our faith in the first week. But this last week, Brett talked about the contagious calm, and then this week, we're talking about prayer. Now, those two were kind of the transition point in the book from learning about God to using them as our weapons, okay? So that's, the, that's, a, that's a big thing to um, say right off the bat. Prayer is a weapon, Prayer is not passive. Max Lucado gives us three specific reasons um, that prayer is powerful, straight from the book. And I'm no shame about it. I'm going to use those three reasons and plug in some some of my own input um, because I just think they're so good. So three three reasons that um, that specific prayers are powerful. Number one, if you're writing this down, this is point number one. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. Have you ever made plans with someone, but it's like kind of nonchalant, so like nobody marks their calendar and it just never happens? That happens to me like too often. Me and Jackson, so Jackson Collins, not Shively, we work together up in Orange, right? So our, our warehouse where we work is like a mile or two away from the Honda Center and the Angel Stadium. So we're right by two of the biggest sports arenas in Southern California. Guess how many games we've we've talked about going to? Yeah, probably about a hundred. Yeah, we talk about it like every week. Baseball season's not in right now, but hockey is. And we've talked about bro, we gotta go see a game after work. But that's a really vague statement. Right? Statements like we should go to a game sometime are vague. And they're they're most of the time they they don't lead to anything because we didn't really put a plan in place. However, if I went up to Jackson one day and I was like, "Yo, the Ducks play Tuesday night, seven thirty. They're playing the Kings. I already looked it up. Tickets are like twenty five bucks to sit in the bowl in the top. You down to go? I'll buy the tickets right now." Which plan seems more serious? The second one, right? <laughs> Ken, you're toxic, bro. <laughs> so, the specific request is more serious. A specific request always has more power behind it. That is what we need to do when we pray. When anxiety comes at us, we need to pray for specific requests to God because he hear, he hears those requests and the specific requests are serious. We can't settle for this, hey God, me again, uh, can you just get rid of this whole anxiety thing? It's not really—it's not really helping me, and I, I just kind of want it to be gone, right? I think there's a time and place for that prayer, but I think it's a lot more powerful when we pray specifically, when we find the root cause of that anxiety and pray against it. I—I I use the example of a big test. God, I got a huge test today, and I'm not super prepared. And my teacher's been hyping it up this whole, this whole week about how this is gonna be a huge part of my grade, and it's really giving me like a lot of anxiety. Can you just help me lighten the load? Can you just give me that that special piece? That request comes off a lot more serious. We mean business, but baby. Fill in the blank with your scenario there too. Like I just used the example of a big test because that's something I'm dealing with in college. I'm like, bruh, I did not prepare for this correctly. Um, I'm anxious. Right. Specific prayers are serious prayers. Point number two: specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God at work. When we pray specific prayers, God answers in specific ways, and our faith skyrockets. Max Lucado uses the example um, from the Bible of Abraham when he asks his servant to go find a wife for his son, Isaac? First of all, what? <laughs> um, pause, sir. You're just asking your servant to just go find go find a wife for my son. Imagine that in today's day and age. Like, Brett came up to me. Vinny's all grown up. Vinny's a nice young man. He goes, hey, Ben, um, really just don't want to deal with this whole thing. Could you just go find Vince a wife and then just bring her back? That's nuts, dude. Like, What? But that's in the Bible. People did that back in the day. It's crazy. It seems absurd to me. But, hey, I I wasn't there. But beyond me, Abraham's servant says, okay, I'll run it. I'll do it. Don't even trip. Like, I'll just go get him a wife and I'll cruise back, right? He travels to Mesopotamia and he prays this prayer once he gets there. So he gets to Mesopotamia. He rolls up on a city. And little background, the well was like a central place in ancient cities, right? Because that's where they all had to go every day to draw water. And it was typically the women that did that in that culture. So he rolled up to the city, this servant, and he's like, dude, I got a game plan. I got to bring home a wife for this dude. So I'm going to roll up to the well where all the women come and draw water. And then he prays this crazy prayer. It's in Genesis 24, like 12 through like 15. But I'm just going to read a part of it. He says to God, he's praying, this is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected to be Isaac's wife. How specific could you be? He literally said, okay, I'm going to roll up to this well, and I'm going to pray that um, whenever the the girl comes up to me and gives me water and gives my camels water, that's the one. That's just nuts, dude. I, I was reading this, and I was like, Bruh. But then, but then skip down to verse 15. Before he had even finished speaking, Rebecca appeared. And if you keep reading Genesis, you'll find out Rebecca becomes Isaac's wife. He prayed such a specific prayer, and God answered it. She did the exact things in that list. She walked up, she said, Oh, you want some water? Oh, here, your camels look thirsty. That's crazy. But when we pray specific prayers, God gives specific answers. Our specific requests do not need to be that crazy. They don't need to be, if I win the lottery here, pick all the right numbers, then I'll do this. Right? A specific request can just be as simple as waiting and praying that prayer. God, would you just do the miraculous? Because that's a miracle. There's no way that in any other circumstance that exactly what this guy prayed would happen. It's just not possible. But when you pray crazy prayers, you get crazy response. And if you you got to think of Abraham's servant here. Think of the anxiety that he had. He just got tasked to go pick somebody's wife. If I'm him, I'm like, what if I bring the wrong person? What if, what if they don't like her when I bring her back? Like, I'd be freaking out. So what does he do? He makes this super specific prayer so there's no way he can mess up. There's no way it's not God if this happens. It has to be. Let's pray those crazy specific prayers and just see what happens. Amen? Point three, specific prayer creates a lighter load. This one's probably my favorite. When you pray specific prayers, you're giving away the anxiety you're trying to hold for yourself. Many times, anxiety is so hard to overcome because the anxieties are vague and they're not defined. Max Lucado says, if you can distill the challenge or anxiety into a phrase, we can bring it down to size. Brett talked about this a few weeks ago. He said, in the grand scheme of things, the anxieties we go through aren't big deals. And that isn't to downplay it. It's just if you really think about it, in the scape of the universe... The little things we deal with here are not that big, right? If we pray these specific prayers and we pray the specific problems we have, the big problems get turned into prayer-sized challenges. And while we do that, we essentially take control of the anxiety we think we can handle and we give it to God. He's the only one that can handle it. When we keep our anxieties vague and hidden from from even God, we are inadvertently saying, I can do this myself. I've had moments like this, right? My own dad, who's sitting in the back growing up, he used to always say this, and it just stuck with me all these years. He just said, hey, whenever I'd be going through something, he'd, he'd come up to me, and I was very um, reserved as a kid. I would not, like... I didn't like talking about emotions, ew, or any of that. So I wouldn't say anything. I would just let it all bottle up. And he'd come up to me and he would say, Ben, it's really hard for me to help you if you don't tell me what the problem is. Right? I think God operates the same way. God knows everything, so he knows your problem. But he's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into your life. We saw that in Jesus. He didn't force his way in. They crucified him. Right? We have to choose him. He loves us no matter what, and that's the beauty of it, and the craziest part is that regardless of it, he loves us. He never leaves us, and he desperately wants us to help us, but it's really hard for God to help something that I don't acknowledge. Right? It's really hard for God to to help me in an area where I keep hidden, even from him. When we pray specific prayers, it lightens the load on us. Max Lucado walks through, like, this little devotional plan that he has every morning, and it kind of matches up with what um, Pastor Brett was saying at the winter retreat, for those of you who are there. Read for 15 minutes, reflect for 15 minutes, and pray it out. But he was saying in, in that morning time, what he does is he just marks out his entire day. I got a meeting at 10. I got, I got another meeting at 2 and all these things. And his specific prayer for that day is not just, God, bless my day. Like, have my day go good. Right? The specific prayer that he prays every single day is, God, I got a meeting at 2 and I'm really nervous. I don't know what's going to go on in that meeting. It's a big meeting. I got to preach here, and I got to book deal here, and I got all these things. And then the lady scares me who's interviewing me. (laughs) Like, I just need help. I'm anxious. And then I got another meeting at 2, and it's going to be this whole other thing. This guy's mad at me for this, so we're working on this conflict. The prayer is so specific because specific prayers have power. It's a lot easier to hand things over to Jesus when you acknowledge them fully, like we just went through. It's a lot easier for me to say, God, I'm, I'm really nervous for that meeting later tonight. Can you handle it? Then God, just help me have a good day. I don't think that prayer is bad. I don't think it's bad to say, God, give me a good day. That's a great thing. But we wonder why we keep holding on to the anxiety when the problem isn't, can I have a good day? The problem is I have a meeting at 10 that I'm really nervous for. Why don't we acknowledge that? Peter says in 1 Peter 5, seven. cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you're like, yeah, that's easier said than done, bro. I think the same thing a lot of times. But what does it mean to cast? Casting, it, it's like think of fishing. You're chucking that bait, and what's the goal of that? To throw it as far away from you as possible. At least, if you're me, I'm sure there's like more of a technique. Like you probably just dump it in a certain spot. I just chuck that thing. I'm trying to push it as far as I can. The actual definition of casting is intentionally relocating something. So, like that says, intentionally relocate all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. This is what we need to do when we sense anxiety welling up in our lives. When that meeting's coming, I need to intentionally relocate it to God. We need to cast or relocate our anxiety onto Christ specifically and immediately. We can't carry that the second it wells up, we've got to be like, God, you got to handle this because I can't. That's where we go all the way back to supplication, the humility, and understanding that I can't do this without him. I really want to be able to do this, but I can't. I don't, I'm not graced for it, and I don't have the power for it. He is the only one who's capable of carrying that. Now to wrap up, I just want to set this set this up and leave you guys with one trick. Okay, sound good? Here's the trick. If you haven't been taking notes, I encourage you write this th- write this down. This is really, um, I think it has the power to impact your lives. I write this down. I, I've I talked about this in our young adult small group um, this past Sunday. Uh, this has changed the way I the, my prayer life. All right, it is simple yet hard to do, but populate your prayers with promises. What does that mean? (laughs) The Bible has a promise for just about any feeling or anxiety or emotion or anything you could ever possibly imagine. Find a promise in the Bible that fits your problem and build your prayer around it. And if you're like, well, how do I find a promise that fits my problem? We all got phones. (laughs) Google, I'm feeling anxious about this Bible verse. Something will come up. And then build your prayer around that promise. Bro, what are you doing? Sorry. He's got like something on his nose throwing me off. (laughs) But okay. Um, An example of this would be, um, I picked out Hebrews 13.5 because this is something, it's a really famous verse, but it's something to live by definitely. It says, but don't love money, be satisfied by what, by what you have. Here's the famous part. For God said, I will not leave you, I will never abandon you. Other translations say, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So the next time I'm feeling down and I'm feeling alone and I'm anxious, I can populate my prayer with the promise that God said he would never leave me. God said he would never forsake me. And when I populate my prayer with the promise, it reminds my spirit who's in charge. Right? Max Lucado ends the chapter of the book by saying this. The path to peace is paved with prayer. Less concentration, more supplication. Fewer anxious thoughts, more prayer-filled thoughts. As you pray the peace of god will guard your heart and your mind. And in the end, what could be better? So let's all let's all stand up real quick. I'm basically done. And uh as I bring it to a close, could we all just bow our heads real quick? Bow our heads and close our eyes. I would be kicking myself if I didn't give the opportunity to respond to that. I know it's hard I know it's scary to pray the specifics of our situations. I know it's really scary to verbalize the anxieties that have been holding us back for so long. But God is waiting with open arms. Smiling like a loving father waiting to pick us up. With every eye closed. If you feel like you want to commit to praying those dangerous, specific prayers. And leaning into prayer and not despair. Could you please raise your hand real quick? I just want to pray a blessing over you guys. Amen. I see those hands. Let's pray. God, help us to cast our anxieties on you. Help us to pray the specifics of our problems so they are in the open for you to work with. God, in everything we do, we surrender it to your will and not our own. We love you. Thank you for being such a loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.